Well, good morning. There we go. Our call to worship this morning is the lighting of the Advent candle. We're on a journey, I like to think, uh, preparing our hearts for the good news of Christ's birth. So I'll turn it over to Jackie. All right, good morning. On this second Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of peace, remembering the words of the prophet. Last week, we heard Isaiah 2, verse 2 through 5. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains. All the nations shall stream to it. And this week, we add to the words of Isaiah 11. They shall not hurt or destroy on all God's holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Abel, stand with us. Uh, hymn number 76. Let's stand and sing together. O come, all ye faithful. Amen, and have a seat if you would. It's good to welcome each of you, those of you who've been able to gather with us here as we worship together on site, one heart, one voice, and now one 
projected slides, so we're catching up and managing. Those of you as well who join us uh, on uh, live stream, I was struck by our uh, reading this morning. It says in Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 5, that all the nations shall stream to it the good news. And so those of you on site that are streaming to this service, uh, God has been preparing for centuries. How's that? Um, it's good to be together and to celebrate life together. After the service, I encourage you to stay for some coffee and juice and munchies. Time to gather together, share a relationship. I'll also be doing in uh, room number one downstairs, uh, kind of my after the service follow-up. It's a chance for folks uh, to ask questions, dig deeper into something. I always like to be available to folks as you're processing life and our life together. So we'll do those two things. Now, a couple of slides. Um, we're doing a missions fundraiser, and we're thankful for the pigs in the blanket. You can pick those up, um, a pack for $15. It helps uh, cover our missionaries' expense. We're also having a family activity on uh, the 21st of December. Uh, Christmas cookie decorating. It's as much good to be together as it is to eat. And then this afternoon at 5.30, songs and scriptures will gather here for a, it's a brief service, but we'll be able to sing about two verses of every Christmas carol you ever wanted, as well as hear the reading of God's Word as we go through that together. Um, I'm also part of this desire to be available. If you would like uh, a contact, if you'll just text to this number, uh, the word connect, 616-202-1210. That gives you a form and you can fill out. I'd like to uh, be added to the uh, celebration in form that comes out Thursday nights at 7. I'd like Pastor Bill to call. Uh, here's a prayer request. Just whatever is best for you. We're always looking for ways to be available and to connect uh, with one another. Uh, at this point, I'm going to ask Jeff, our council chair, uh, if you'd come forward and uh, just share with us a word from the council. Well, good morning, everyone. What uh, Bill didn't say, yeah, I am council chair, but I'm also Wayne and Sherry Brower's favorite son-in-law. So that's what I'm commonly known as, go by in our household anyway. So the council is Heart of Wake's governing body, charged with overseeing its many ministries and promoting Heart of Wake's vision to see everyone joining in the journey and being found in, formed by, and following Christ. Our council body meets monthly for prayer, to review ministry reports from each of the staff, assess finances, and conduct other business. Council also studies together and collaborates with the ministry staff on current issues and thinking strategically about the future of Hardwick. 2022 has been a fruitful season post-pandemic with all of the ministries once again resumed. We are thankful for vibrancy and growth in our worship services and music ministries. Council continues to be grateful for the wide variety of ways <clears throat> excuse me, that God is working through Hardwick ministries. Our church continues to be very busy, active, and blessed campus. Amid many blessings, there are some challenges as well. Council continues to work together with staff through several ongoing areas that impact life together as a community. 
First, due to health concerns raised by the pandemic, the distribution of communion elements was suspended and since modified. Staff has worked through various ways of safe distribution depending on the needs of each community and continues to adapt as health concerns merit. Second, during the pandemic, passing the collection plate for offerings was suspended in all services due to health concerns as well. Council, in discussion with staff at our last meeting, committed to a simple but renewed emphasis on the importance of this missing part of worship in each service. An offering is a formational spiritual discipline and act of worship. No matter how or when it is received, many have chosen reoccurring giving through the Hardwick website or their bank, for which Council is very thankful. Every offering is received with gratitude as your contributions are what make all our ministries possible. Third, as the year comes to close, and as the hockey stick explanation video sent out earlier this week notes, year-end gifting to support our ministry is once more needed. Hardawaik has historically received 25 to 30% of its income in the last eight weeks of the calendar year. That's a big deal, right? We have four left. So at this time, to end the year well, we are trusting that God, through the covenant partners of Hardawaik, will provide about $476,000 in this month of December. These funds will allow us to finish the year well and position us on a solid footing for the upcoming year. Expenses continue to run slightly below approved budget levels while being fully staffed with all of ministry resumed. Even in these challenges, we are thankful for all our gospel-centered ministries. On Sunday mornings and community nights, you can experience our robust children's ministries, including gems and cadets. Throughout the week, you can give thanks for our youth ministries that serve our community and its young people, and the variety of adult education opportunities also being provided. These highlights are only a sampling, and it is your prayers and investment in Hardwick Ministries through your gifts of time, service, and financial contributions that make all of our ministries possible. Thank you. May God continue to use Hardaway's many ministries to invite people to join in the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus. We're glad to take a moment and make sure everybody connects faces. Uh, with people involved and that you hear the kind of things we uh, work with and keep in mind for ourselves. You know, we gather this day and we're a unique and particular expression of the body of Christ, but it's not just about us. We are a part of something much bigger than just here. It's happening across the world in a variety of different cultures. It's gone on through the course of time for the past 20 centuries. And one way I like us to remember what's gone on ahead of us is to confess our faith using the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, question number 35 will be the question for the week of December, and you'll see why. I'll begin. What does it mean that he, that is the Son of God, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? It means that the internal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary a truly human nature, 
so that he might also become David's true descendant, like his brothers and sisters in every way except for sin. Let us sing together a hymn that expresses that truth. It's number 565, God Himself is with us. Have a seat, if you would, please. And I'm going to ask that we pray, and then after that, we'll have our kids' video. So let's uh, turn to the Father and pray right now, shall we? Father, we thank you that you've loved us deeply and dearly, and we see that in Christ, that you would lay aside your glory and through the Son be present where we are as we are, yet without sin. So in this moment, Father, we give you thanks that you have pursued us by your grace, not to make demands, but to offer new life. And in that new life, freedom and power and direction to live as never before. Fill us with the joy and power of that. Help us to guard against the distractions of this season and to live in your fullness. Lord God, we pray together for our Heart Awake Ministries. Thank you for Jeff and the leadership of the council. Uh, We pray for the ministries that go forth uh, with our students, with our children, through Neighbors Plus, into our community. We pray as we gather at the end of the year that your grace would be known through your provision uh, and work in us and through us. Guide us in these times, Father, to bear fruit to your glory. We pray for the various expressions of of our church. We pray for Pastor Aaron as he preaches at Watershed and Pastor JB at Fusion. We pray for Pastor Florencio, who right where I'm standing will proclaim the gospel in Spanish in just a few hours. And for a new friend, Pastor Jeffrey at Angel Community Church as they met last night there in Muskegon. 
But you've called us, Father, as celebration, a particular extension and expression of your church. We pray that in the midst of some of the challenges of sickness and grief, that your mercy would move deep in the hearts of your people to care for one another, to journey together. I'm going to give you just a moment of silence to pray for those in your circle of relationships that are facing sickness of various kinds and grief in this season. Name them and lift them to the Lord. Father, we pray too for the gift of discernment. Speak to leaders, but also to us that we might move through the confusion of this season and this time in life, that we might move with a clarity because we have heard the voice of the Good Shepherd. Pray for those you know and for yourself with needs of discernment. And Father, if discernment helps us sort through the challenges of life, we thank you that grace has been given that we might break through the shackles of life. So I pray that whether it's a first coming to faith or a new insight or a conviction that leads to the freedom of repentance, that your grace would bring breakthrough in lives. Pray for yourself and others for the breakthrough of grace. Now, Father, in our regular cycle of prayer for those in authority, we do pray for Heart of Wikes Council, that you would speak through each representative and that they might, as they're called to serve, uh, make known the mind of Christ to the body of Heart of Wyke. That the representation that we seek to achieve is more than just a reflection of the people, but the extension of the Lord Jesus. We pray for our missionaries, both known and unknown, names that we can speak in this moment and those that we can't. We thank you that the gospel goes forward in extraordinary ways in our time. Help us to join with your work in prayer. Finally, Father, I pray, I've been meditating on these words from the Bach Chorale we had several weeks ago. Convey the honor of your name, preserve sound teaching, and bless both pulpit and altar. We pray, Father, that churches across this nation and across this world would be grounded in the gospel of your grace and not the de designs of humanity, that we might be lighthouses of hope. Guide us, protect us, be our joy, and hear our prayer. For you've called us to pray, Lord God, and we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the kids who are going to be part of our children's ministry, come on forward and join me on the front pew, and you'll be able to see even better um, the video that we have. Here comes Miss Janet and her crew. 
Yeah, why don't you join us up here? Hi there. I'm Pastor Bill, and here we go. Lots and lots of them. And God gave him the design for a temple. It was small but beautiful. Those are all the sheep and cattle that Solomon offered as sacrifice. We'll cover that up with a cloud. Uh-oh, Solomon's getting old. I can tell by the hair on his head. you're going to have a chance to learn all about what that was about when you go to kids ministry. You see, we never make mistakes here. We just live in the providence of God. So let me pray for you and then we'll send you out. Father, we thank you for your kindness and grace. Thank you that you've gathered us as your people to receive your grace and then to share it. Be with these kids. We thank you for your great love for them. Extend your mercy to us in them and through them and bless them now for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, Miss Janet, you can take your gospel posse as you need. It's all good. Well, we continue to preach through the scripture. Remember, I'm, uh, our goal is across about 30 weeks to read one chapter of this book, the story, because it includes kind of the overview of the great message of the gospel. And we're in a time in the Old Testament called a king 
that talk about the kingdom of God uh, with the kingdom of Israel. And we've seen Saul and we saw David's rise and his decline. Today we're going to look at David's son, Solomon. And in the, this is chapter 13, and you see all the different things it pulls together. I began listening to a book uh, this week that I found very interesting, and it used a uh, metaphor of the way the gospel is communicated throughout the scripture, Genesis to Revelation. It talked about a mosaic. And if you've seen that kind of art, where you take often broken pieces of glass, and you may have a blue broken piece of glass and a red broken piece and a green and an orange and a yellow. And all these separate fragments can have a beauty of their own, but they're meant to be placed together so that you get a bigger picture. And it just really struck me uh, in light of this book, how true that is to the scripture that there's a piece of poetry, there's a piece of wisdom, there's some history, there's a prophetic vision, there's all these different pieces, but they come together to form an important message that you may not get from any one piece separately. And that great message is the gospel of God's grace shown to us in the person of Jesus. If you read a portion of the Bible and don't see how it connects to Jesus, be encouraged, that's the adventure. God put that fragment there, that piece, to be part of the full picture of Jesus. Don't miss it. So we're, we're looking at Solomon's life with that in mind. And Deb, I'll ask you to press through as I read. We're going to take one segment out of Solomon's life. It's from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 is where it starts. Now... Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he did that because he married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, they were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. One night the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important of all those high places. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Now the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. 
So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. (laughs) Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. So he returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a great feast for all his court. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have loved us so much that you condescended to speak into human language through the history and the poetry and the proverbs and the visions of a distant people. You've decided to make yourself known in and through that we might see beyond them to the good hope of the gospel, Jesus Christ. We thank you for Solomon's life, where it encourages us, where it warns us. We thank you for the way your Holy Spirit has preserved these texts across centuries. And now, Uh, By your grace, we're able to unroll the scroll, as it were, to translate, to read, to meditate, to pray, and to listen for the voice of the Good Shepherd, who says he will give us the Holy Spirit to teach us all things. So lead us this day closer to Jesus. Guard your people from my confusion and brokenness and sin. And in your mercy, make yourself known to us, Lord God. We pray and we trust in the name who would give up his life to rescue us, the only wise king, the Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Well, Solomon's an interesting fellow. As I've said, we saw kind of the rise of David, the good things as God uh, worked in his life and as David in that way points to Jesus. And then we see the problems in David's life. But the good news, even in the problem, Uh, even in the problems for David, is that when he fell short, he turned to God. Do you see that? It's not a question of being with sin or without sin. It's a what do you do when you sin and fall short? David teaches us about repentance, and we looked at that last week. Well, now we hand off to his son, Solomon. And Solomon, a word I'm going to use all through the morning is mixture. Solomon is a mixture. He's a little of this and he's a little of that. We can look at what he does and the scripture helps us then kind of get a sense and see of what heart leads to those behaviors. I want to deconstruct a king's divided heart. I want to begin to unpack the mixture and see what's going on there. The first thing we can make very clear is that Solomon made some good choices. In this text today, we see in specific a very good choice that he makes. And he kind of answers the question. We can watch the rest of his life. And it answers the question for Solomon, what kind of king will I be? 
Each one of us has an opportunity to ask a question like that. What kind of parent will I be? What kind of husband will I be? A student, a, a manager, or a worker, a citizen. How will we fulfill the roles in which we are placed? Well, Solomon had this choice, what kind of king will I be? And we see that he made a good choice. He sought the Lord and he sought the Lord for a discerning heart. Let me just read briefly over that prayer. It begins this way, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. Hold on. You mean Solomon heard from God in a dream? What does it say? It says yes. Would you think that still happens, Pastor Bill? Well, let me press you with a question. Do I think that every dream I have is from the Lord? No. Sometimes my dreams are simply a reflection of that wonderful spicy jambalaya that Mary Lynn gave me for supper. Other times, that dream is kind of my subconscious. I don't really understand all that, but somehow my subconscious is, is working it out and thinking, I'm sleeping somewhere down there, my brain's thinking. I have woken up in the middle of the night, written down a sermon illustration. And then the next morning, it actually made sense. So I'll have dreams that are something other. But that's why I need discernment. Because I want to tell you, it's very clear in our time, and we'll talk about this more perhaps in the follow-up, that God continues to speak just as he always has in dreams to people. We are living through an extraordinary moment in history. I've often said this, that more Muslims have turned from Islam, confessed Christ as Savior, and been baptized, often at great cost to their lives, in the past 13 years, more in the past 13 years than in the previous 13 centuries. You would have seen that on the news the other evening, didn't you? Oh, no, you didn't, because they're busy telling you the news of the world. We've got to begin to ask, where is God at work? What is he doing? Why is it that missionaries are coming back having heard stories of imams meeting Jesus in a dream? It's because the God, transcendent and holy, who yearns to interact with us, will meet us. Now, friends, you need to be pursuing a life that cultivates discernment so that you can tell whether your dreams are indigestion, concern, or maybe God calling you to repentance. Discernment is needed. But don't think you can explain the world by physical actions and reactions only. There's more here that meets the eye. There's something bigger and deeper. And that's all we're seeing. You and I can experience this. Solomon did. The Lord spoke to him, met him in a dream at night. And the Lord says, ask for whatever you want to give. Later in verse 7, you hear Solomon pray in his subconscious, as it were, in a dream. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. That's what he was praying for. That was the desire of his heart. That's where the Lord met him and challenged him. And that's 
where the Lord gave to him what he asked for. I will give you discernment. In this moment, in his subconscious, in his sleep, in whatever state he was in, he was seeking the Lord. Left to rest, he would seek the Lord because he knew he needed something from the outside, that there wasn't enough inside to meet the challenge of the moment. He needed something more than him. Oh, could I go on. I read a transcript of an interview just a few days ago. It was an interview with a person who in January will move into an important leadership position in our House of Representatives. And it was a pretty extended interview. It was, I'll go on, but it ended this way. Before I let you go, said the interviewer, I have a somewhat more personal question. You wrote an op-ed this year, and the headline was, the politics of going gray. The decision being to stop touching up your roots. Yeah, and just to let my hair go its natural color, but I quickly realized that it's a, actually a political decision. I hope that it will be an example of live your own truth, be who you are, and you will find that the world will adjust to you. Oh? That's a classic example of government by self-expression. And I want to lay out for you the contrast by seeking to lead by serving something greater than self. Self-expression, facing reality and that I have limits and brokenness. Friends, I want to tell you, anything by self-expression makes me nervous because it will never be enough to deal with the problems of our reality. Let me make you uncomfortable for just a moment. I don't mean to be abusive, but I, I do want to raise a question. You see, we live in a world with external realities, at least I do. Things that are real, whether they fit my self-expression or not. Here's a difficult example. How do we deal with the practice of abortion? Oh, there's a complex one that most people won't touch from my position. Let me suggest to you, when we really want to deal with this issue, we have some external realities. Here's an external reality. There are pregnancies that begin because of rape. Wow, that's a hard one. Here's another external reality. There are births that happen in abortion clinics. Babies that survive the abortion. I want to tell you, that that's just two of about five or six difficult things I could line up. External realities and no self-expression will deal with them. No self-expression will be able to bring together a good reaction to all these external realities. Oh, it's a small number of each side, you'd say, yeah, that's true, but they're real and they're serious and I could add more. You see, sometimes self-expression isn't quite enough. Abraham Lincoln had a little shtick. I want to end on something lighter with this portion. He had a little shtick he would do in his speeches from time to time. 
He'd say, now just imagine a dog. My old dog, Jake, if I were to bring him up here, and if I were to point to that little thing at the end of his body that's wagging and shaking and say, that's a leg. Don't call that a tail, that's a leg. Now, how many legs does my dog, Jake, have? And Abraham Lincoln would let that kind of settle on folks. And he'd say, I don't care what you call his tail, he still only has four legs. Because a tail can't do what a leg can. And a leg isn't built like a tail. It's not about self-expression. It's about in the challenges of real life, we need an insight and a hope, something greater than ourselves. That's what you see in Solomon here, something greater than himself. Lord, I face your people. They have need for good government. Give me wisdom and discernment. Oh, I am so thankful for a leader who has the humility to ask. We need something more than me and a pole. Give us something more. I love how he's asking for discernment. Life is complex, friends. I don't know. If you'll listen to the stories that people and what they face, you'll come away sometimes thinking, what do we do? And that's a great question to bring to the good shepherd. You know, I'm so thankful that Jesus never called me to Establish justice in the country. He just called me to love my neighbor. And so even when I can't figure out the bigger systemic issues, because they're there, even if I can't figure out every systemic issue, I'm going to have a neighbor with a need that the gospel can meet. And if I dare to relocate and put myself in a neighborhood with great needs, I will have even more opportunity to be faithful to the call to love my neighbor. So you can really reduce that calling of Jesus by being real careful of who your neighbors are, of who you come into contact with. But let yourself get involved in the lives of real people and you're gonna see the need for discernment. You're gonna be asking God, guide me. It's amazing in this moment, Solomon is a model of what they call the servant leader. It kind of reminds me of this guy. Um, centuries later, I keep, what, what was his name? Oh, that Jesus guy washing the feet of his disciples. This is what leadership looks like, Jesus said in the upper room. I wouldn't be surprised if about three days later when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus and he tells his two friends about how all the law and the prophets point to him, if he doesn't say, you remember Solomon, remember how he asked for discernment to govern well? That's what a servant leader looks like. Jesus would have gone through as much Old Testament as he could have in the four hours or so they had in that walk and just said, this passage in the Old Testament, about me. This passage, about me. If he'd looked at this passage with Solomon, he would have said, that's about me. A leader with humility. A leader who's a servant. You know, we've just recently seen the passing of Queen Elizabeth of England, and I was fascinated to hear the conversation about how she committed herself to serve her people. 
And I said, ah, that's the gospel. Because I know she had a great, great, great grandfather. His name was George III. And the story is told about him that one day while working on George's portrait, the 18th American art century artist, Benjamin West, mentioned that George Washington was going to resign after serving just two terms as president. King George was aghast. And he said, if he does that, he'll be the greatest man in the world. That's what leadership that's humble and servant-hearted looks like. So Solomon made a great choice, and there's marvelous things we can learn. But he also made a choice to kind of be directed by peer pressure. He chose to follow the crowd. You'll see that in verse 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. See, the question that he asks here is, what kind of worshiper will I be? And at this time in the life of Israel, remember there was no temple. God was worshiped in a mobile kind of way, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant that could be moved around, the tent of meeting where Moses would meet with God. There was no permanent place, so people would often worship and gather for there, gather for worship here. And typically it was in what they called the high places. Kind of, you go up to the mountains, you feel closer to God, we'll worship him here. Now, is that bad? Not really, if you're worshiping the Lord. But if you're taken by your own self-expression or by the moving of your emotions or by anything less than the Lord himself, it becomes a problem. See, this was pre-temple worship. The except that was that suddenly he's out where he's got to guard his motivations. It's interesting to me. We see that he's worshiping in the high places, and it's not till after the dream. In verse 15, it says, he returned to Jerusalem, and he stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings. So he was kind of worshiping, just kind of with his peers, kind of how we do it. And at another time, he would burn that same incense, give those offerings to the Lord. There was two kind of worship going on in his life. This was a pre-temple time where it wasn't fixed in any one place, and so that's got particular challenges. I'm well aware that sometimes in the consumer society in which we live, as Americans, it's easy to think of worship as, uh, in terms of what does it do for me? Indeed, it could be that we kind of have built that into Hardaway because we have three different communities. It's one gospel, one ministry. We're praying and working together, Aaron and JB and I. But if we say, eh, just whatever makes you comfortable for hearing the gospel, if you're driven by your comfort to hear the gospel, and then it becomes your comfort before you can hear the gospel. Or if somehow in your comfort there's something better than, to hear how those things just kind of become opportunity to begin to have a heart stepping away. 
I want to tell you, I'm so thankful for the different ways that God is worshipped. But I always remember, and what we're always called to do is to remember that it is God we worship. So whether I'm with my African-American friends or if I'm here in the afternoon with Mission, different styles. A few weeks ago, in a classic style with Bach, marvelous expression, but worship of the living God. You see, Solomon had this choice. It's tricky there in the middle. You know what they say, sit on the fence and you get splinters in the darndest places. You got to be careful and check your heart. Ask yourself, friends, what is it or who is it that's forming your heart? I often point to the impact of advertising. It's just around us. Start your computer and the rich folks at Google are running an algorithm to get your eyeballs so they can sell you things. You don't have to go looking. They're looking for you. What's forming your heart? Do you have time that's free from distraction, focused on the text of the Bible, the written word of the Scripture? Are you there asking, what does this say? What does it mean? How might it apply? And praying about what you read. You may recognize that SOAP structure, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. That's what we teach people one-on-one in terms of equipping people to study the Scripture. You're either being influenced by the algorithms of Google or by God's written word where you can meet him and hear his voice. I'm realizing more and more that sometimes discipling is not so much about giving people content. That operates, we now know more about the brain. That operates in the frontal cortex. Where I get into trouble is deep down in my lower brain, that amygdala. That's where my flight or fight or freeze response is, just wired in. And if you've been around me, there are moments that I get to my amygdala and I'm ready to fight. Now, I fight with words. I win arguments. I crush people. Come to Jesus after I make you feel humiliated. I want to tell you, the Word of God has had to begun to disciple my amygdala so that maybe being kind is as deep as my call to flight or to fight. Imagine if I could become so centered on Christ that my amygdala deep down low would be as quick to go to stop and pray as it would be to win the argument or turn and run or freeze. Smile and be kind. Can your heart be so committed to forgiveness that in the moment of that wound, rather than fight, rather than run, you go to the cross on behalf of someone else? I wish the story of Solomon ended with a peer pressure decision, but he made some bad choices too. See, he's a man of mixture, and we've got to realize there's some good things he did we can learn from that and see. There's some bad things that he did we can learn and see. The question that Solomon had to ask himself was, what kind of husband will I be? Uh, Verse 1 begins with this statement, Solomon married the daughter of Pharaoh. It's interesting, a few centuries before, God had sovereignly rescued Israel from Egypt. 
Now Solomon is bringing Egypt back to Israel. Irony alert. This is not a model of good behavior. Now, I get it that that was a convention of the culture of his time. Ah, there's that peer pressure again. That kings would consolidate their standing by marrying from other nations, and you build, and you kind of, you'll never go to war with somebody that's family. Well, when that practice worked its way out, it says in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 13, that he ended up with 700 wives. And I want to say real clear to you, that was sin. God never created or intended or will bless or will wink at 700 wives. That sin will always have a cost. This is not a cultural practice that we get used to. This was not the way they did diplomacy. This was sin. This was the wisest man in biblical history committing gross sin. Let that settle in. 700 wives. Oh, well, nothing like that could happen today. No one could have 700 wives, even if they tried, Pastor Bill. We've moved on from that. We're, we're modern people. Oh, not so fast. I want to tell you something about my life. I've worked diligently to avoid any personal contact with internet pornography. But as I read to understand just how big and pervasive and available that is, and as I've listened to the stories of friends and church members dealing with porn's impact, I'm guessing there's lots of people in our life and community whose minds have been captured by 700 video images. Oh, maybe that 700 wives and the attachment that God meant for husband and wife has been pervasive and broken. Colossians 3, 5 through 6 talks about how sexual immorality is really a form of idolatry. Listen to this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. I think that would cover internet porn. They're estimating a $12 billion a year industry in the United States. B with a billion with a B. All these things, Paul says, are adultery. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Friends, 700 wives in Solomon's life, for whatever reason, is not God's intention. It is sin. And this sin will have consequences. Those consequences will come cascading into Solomon's life. And even more sadly, they will come cascading in the years following him. In the years and the lives and the families and the nations of his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Sin has consequences that cascade, even if he doesn't have to face it. Consequences are like, in economics, a lagging indicator. We borrow money now, but somebody has to pay it back later. 
with interest. We sin today and we may not feel its consequences, but believe me, someone will pay it back. We see that the kingdom gets divided in First uh, Kings 12. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is a self-centered, insecure, peer pressure person. He alienates the population. Rebellion occurs and the kingdom divides. The idolatry that began with mixed worship and sexual immorality in Solomon's life Years later, in the ministry of Jeremiah, listen to him speak to the idolatry that burst forth among God's people. For you have forsaken me and made this place of, a place of foreign gods. You, they have burned incense in it to gods that neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal. You hear the high places again. And they've done that in order to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal. Something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. Throwing their children in the fire to appease something to meet the need of their heart. Idolatry became monstrous. So how do you sum up the life of Solomon? mixture. Some good choices, some bad choices. And all these choices like seeds would only grow and bear fruit after he was gone. Mixture. It may not hurt us, but the seeds of other, for other people's lives are planted and the fruit will come up. What we learn in Solomon's life is that wisdom and prosperity, because he had that, the Lord gave it to him and blessed him with wisdom, blessed him with prosperity. But control, Solomon had an illusion of control in his lifetime. I can do this and get away with it. But for those who followed, the seed of bad choices would produce bad fruit mixture. I could close with a story about a friend. I'll kind of clean it up. It was about ice cream, and I love ice cream. And let's just say they had a special recipe to, to make ice cream, you know, in that churn, and you put in the cream, get the best, and the sugar, and the eggs, and this, and then they had their secret ingredient, a tablespoon of horse manure. It would get mixed in. Oh, what ice cream, like you could never imagine just a tablespoon. Would you feel better if it was just a teaspoon? It's just a mixture. Don't like horses? How about cow? You get the point. Some things are never meant to be mixed. God has created us so that our lives flourish with his grace moving in us. Mix that grace with self-righteousness, with demanding insecurity, and like my friend's ice cream, nobody wants it. Friends, a mixed heart shows us that wisdom and prosperity and control are not enough. Solomon shows us some good things and some bad things, but it reminds us that we need a savior, not wisdom alone. That we need a savior, not prosperity alone that we need a savior, 
whom we can trust in a world we can't control. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your kindness and grace. I thank you that you've loved us so deeply that even in the midst of our confusion, we can cry out to you. Even when things are more complex than we can figure out or understand, yet by your grace and mercy, you are with us. I pray just as Solomon had the humility to ask, to seek wisdom from above, that you would give us a security in your grace that produces a humility and makes us willing to ask and learn. Indeed, Father, I pray that in this season you would make your people thirsty for pure, clean, living water, that you would cleanse us cup by cup by cup, pure, clean, living water. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. Before we sing, I, we've not done it in a while, but I want to pray together the Heart of White Gospel Meditation. So let's pray this before we sing and go out. Friends, here's a summary of the gospel and its truth. Let's pray together. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity, I am not my own. But instead, by the working of his grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great creator king. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am right here and right now, not as I should be or could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day by day into his likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as he brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of your work in my life, values, and actions. Hymn number 80, stand as you're able. Hark the herald angels sing. There is good news for God's people and this world.
receive this benediction, the blessing from the book of Hebrews. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. And amen.